preacher. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, it is good to be here. Thank the Lord for the word we've already heard. <clears throat> I was thinking while Brother Willis was preaching, 42 or three years ago, I got saved 44 years ago, and uh, I'd been studying the book of Romans, and I came to that chapter 6 where it said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, that like as Christ has raised, been up, raised from the dead from the glory of the Father, even so ye should walk also in the newness of life. If you plain it together in the likeness of his death, you'll also be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And I was just a young preacher. I'd been preaching just a little while, and <clears throat> I couldn't get a hold of that. I just couldn't get a hold of that passage. I couldn't understand what was being said. It was about 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I, I said, Lord, I'll get down here on the floor, and I'll pray, and I'll stay here until you help me understand that. And so I bowed there and stayed there for, I don't know, two or three hours. I kept crying, praying, Lord, I need, I need an example of something that once you're saved, you are dead to sin. You just can't live in it anymore. And uh, I kept praying about it. Sometime up in the night, still laying there on the floor, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the example in the Bible of that is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I thought, man, that don't make any sense. How can Mary, Martha, and Lazarus be an example of, um, of being dead to sin? And I said, Lord, I don't understand this, but if you'll help me, I'll stay here till you help me understand this. And finally, it all began to come to my mind. When Lazarus died, they loved him. The Bible said that they loved him. And he's dead now. And Jesus comes to the tomb and Jesus says to them, roll the stone away. They said, no, Lord, our brother stinketh by now. He's dead. He stinketh by now. Don't roll that stone away. And man, that truth began to work in my heart. What you loved before you got saved does not smell the same now. They loved him when they were alive to him. But when he died, they couldn't stand the smell of him anymore. When you get saved, what you loved before you got saved smells like death to you now. Your discernment's different. You can't stand it. You might still love it, but you can't stand the smell of it anymore. Let's all stand this evening. Thank you this morning. Thank you, Brother Willis, for preaching. Brother Shiflett, thank you for letting us come be a part of this meeting. I, as Brother Willis has already stated, I too get nervous. I've been preaching a long time, but I still get nervous, uh, especially after following Brother Willis. Uh, my, he's a great preacher, and, and I'm just kind of a stick-in-the-mud guy. I'm a very serious type person. I always have been. I can't help it. But uh, I just uh, feel like this is where the Lord would have us this morning. We're going to kind of change directions. And uh, Isaiah chapter number 59 I preached on this last week over here at Brother Melton's church and revival, and uh, I can't get away from it. I preached it many years ago, and God's resurrected it in my heart in the last few weeks, and I got it out and preached it over there, and I really feel like the Lord would have us to preach it here today. But I'm going to do different than normally done in any message. 
I want to preach the message and then tell you in the last few minutes of the title of what I'm preaching on. The introduction to the whole business will magnify the truth of what I'm preaching on. So I want to preach the message first and then give you the title last. And I think it'll make sense when we get there. Isaiah 59, if you will, please. Thank you, Brother Shifley, for being such a great friend, a great pastor, a great brother in the Lord. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He said he cannot in verse 1, and he will not in verse 2. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They have uh, hatched concretized eggs and uh, weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not. They know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. And ain't that some more indictment to say about a people? Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold, obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We're in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward. And justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. 
Yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their were deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. I understand that's a very long passage of scripture. Thank you for your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good word of God that we've already heard. And Lord, how my heart was reminded sitting over here, God, without doubt, there's probably lost people in the building. And Lord's people that needs God to be convicted and drawn by your spirit, God, to be saved. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Ghost of God, Lord, would visit them this day and remind them of the great need of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. I pray now, Lord, that you'd help me a few minutes, God, to preach what I feel you've placed upon my heart in the room through the night. I pray, Lord, you give us hearing ears, receptive hearts, and yea, troubled spirits, God, today. We love you and thank you for all you've done and what you're going to do. Bless this church, its work, and the continuation of the meeting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. What time is lunch, preacher? What time is it? Just when I've been preaching. The ministry of Isaiah covers about 60 years, probably closer to 62, 63 maybe. He was a very unique prophet. He is, was a man, his prophecy covered 60 years. He was a prophet that had an experience with God that changed his life forever and ever. I thank God for those experiences in your life where you meet with God that changes you forever. I thank the Lord that it begins in salvation when you get saved. It changes you forever. You're never the same no more as we've already heard so well today. Isaiah had a confrontation with God in chapter number six. He had a confrontation with God. In that confrontation, he saw the highness of God, the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the holiness of God. He saw the angels of the seraphim flying about crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He saw the hosts of God, the Lord of the armies of heaven, ruling over the affairs of men. He saw the house of God. He said, the post moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. He saw the honor of God. He heard the words, the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. He had a confrontation with God. That confrontation led to contrition before God. When he had that experience of being confronted with God, he cried out, woe is me. 
Oh, thank God for a time when God so confronts you that it breaks your wheel inside and leaves a deep burden in your heart as to who you are and what you are. That contrition led to confession. He said, Lord, it is I. There was personal confession. I'm a man of unclean lips. Then there was public confession. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The confrontation brought contrition. The contrition brought confession. The confession brought cleansing. Then there flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. He laid it on my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Thank God when you have such a move of God in your life that it causes you to cry out, and that cry causes you to get clean with God. That cleansing brought a call from God. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I go and whom shall I go for us? And Elijah, I mean, excuse me, and Isaiah got that call and then there was commitment in his life. He said, Lord, I'll go send me. And then there's the commission that came in his life. God said, go and tell this people. Well, Elijah was a man of virtue and it started with a meeting with God. All this is going somewhere. Isaiah was a man of vision. He had vision of the things of God as few prophets in the Bible had. He had a vision you might have to sum it up in three words throughout the entirety of the book of Isaiah. He had three words could sum it up. He saw a vision of the grace of God. He saw a vision of the government of God. And he saw a vision of the glory of God. Amen. Oh, I'd like to plug in there a while, but time will not let us. Amen. He was a man of virtue. He was a man of vision. He was a man of valor. He preached to the Hebrew people and to the heathen people. Oh, lift up your voice, God said, and spare not. Cry aloud. Show my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. He was a man of valor that delivered the message of God. He was a man of value. They never repented in his generation. Sixty long years he preached and they never repented and got right with God. But let me say this to everybody in this building. A man's ministry and a man's value is not placed upon the success of his ministry. His value as a man of God is placed upon the fact of delivering the message as God gives it to the generation that God has led him preach in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, said so all that say this. Isaiah begins to level charges against this ungodly nation. And uh, notice back in chapter number one, go to chapter number one. I've got to say all of this to come to where, what I want to say later. Isaiah chapter one. Now when you turn to Isaiah chapter one, between Isaiah chapter one and Isaiah chapter 59, there are almost 60 years past. I'm 65 going on 66. 
Brother Paul, 60 years have passed from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah chapter number 59. And he begins to accuse that nation of how they are before God. Look at chapter one. He says, verse number four, he said, ah, sinful nation. And I'd like to read more, but for the sake of time, we won't. He accuses them of being a sinful nation. Notice what he said about them. He said, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. They provoke the Holy One of Israel into anger. They're gone away backwards. Let me have your attention. Help me, dear Lord. Gone away backwards. Have you ever thought about that statement? Gone away backwards. If I walk away from Brother Shiflet, I don't walk away backwards. I walk away forwards. God said this is a sinful nation. They've gone away backwards. What does he imply when he said they've gone away backwards? The indication is this. They're looking God square in the face. Exactly what they're doing. And they're going away backwards from God saying, no. No. I don't want what you're saying. I don't want what you're offering. I'm not going to turn. They're walking away squarely in the face of God knowing what they're doing. They're going away from God face to face away from the God of heaven. Now, flip 60 years into the future and come to chapter 59. And notice some things he says about this nation. He says first they are full, and I haven't got time to develop all the passages, but he says in their sinful condition, they're full of depravity. There, he mentions sexual sins in these pages. He mentions social sins and he mentions spiritual sins. This nation is eat up with sexual sins, social sins, and spiritual sins. And God's telling them, you're not a nation. He said there in chapter one, you're like a nation that did know me. You used to know me, but you went away backwards from me. You parted from the living God. Help me, dear Lord. Amen. And so he said, you're full of depravity, sin. Help me, God. I feel rushed. Sin is destructive and damning. It hides God's face, hinders God's blessings, withholds God's power, closes God people's ears, it withdraws God's presence, provokes God's hand of chastisement, blinds man's spiritual eyes, hardens his heart, makes stubborn his will, withdraws good things, and reprobates the society that it predominant in. Sin is destructive, and sin is damning. He accuses them of being full of depravity. Go back to chapter 56. He accuses them of being full of dissimulation or hypocrisy. He said they're, they're preaching. Chapter 56, I've not got time to read it. Chapter 56, verse 9 through 12. He accuses their watchmen of being blind and ignorant and dumb dogs, sleeping, laying down, 
greedy dogs, never having enough, shepherds that don't understand. He said the people that's supposed to be watching over the nation are sightless, stupid, silent, sleepy, slothful, sensual, senseless, and sottish. He said that this nation is given over to dissimulation. Stay with me a minute. Their preachers were performing while living a hypocritical life. Oh, don't let me put you to sleep now. Not only in chapter 56, their preaching was with dissimulation. Chapter 57, their, their practices were with dissimulation. Chapter number 57, verse 7, he said it's a high thing. Chapter 57, verse 8, he said it's a hidden thing behind closed doors. In chapter number 57, verse 9, he said the last statement, you've debased yourself even to hell. It was a hellish thing and it was a heartless thing. Their preaching was full of dissimulation. Their practices was full of dissimulation, hiding acting one way one place and acting another way in the presence of what they thought in the presence of God. Then he says, your praying is full of dissimulation. Look at chapter 8, 58. Cry, spare not, lift up your voice. Verse two, he said, yet they seek me daily, delight to know my ways as, an, uh, as a nation that did righteousness. Forsook not the ordinance of their God, and so on, verse three, wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. We've afflicted our soul, and ye hear not. Amen. They're praying. Oh, God, help us. They're praying. They were practicing sin while still carrying on with their prayer life. They're still fasting. They're still going to church. They're still doing the thing they think they ought to be doing. They're acting like they used to act, but it's all full of dissimulation. Their preaching, their practice, and their praying all is full of hypocrisy. They're full of deception. They're full of dishonesty. Look at chapter 59, verse number four. None calleth for justice nor any pleaded for truth. Truth was foreign to them. Look at verse number 14. Judgment's turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. Truth is fallen. Verse four, truth was foreign. Verse 14, truth had fallen in the streets. And verse 15, truth had failed. They were full of dishonesty. You say, preacher, what are you preaching on? Stay with me. Everything in the nation has reached a state of absolute rottenness. They're depraved to the core. Their political life is depraved. Their religious life is depraved. Everything's rotten to the core. They're full of defilement. Not only depravity and dissimulation, deception and dishonesty, they're full of defilement. Look at verse three of chapter 59. For your hands, your hands, get that word, your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. 
Verse number six, the last statement. The act of violence is in your hands. Your feet run to evil, make haste to shed blood. Your thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Oh, y'all getting this? Yes, God said, listen, God said your hands, your fingers, your lips, your tongue, your hands, your feet, and your head, all are defiled. I know this is not a pretty picture. Isaiah, listen. 60 years ago, Isaiah said, you're a sinful nation. Then he had this experience with God in chapter number six. And it said, of course, and the rest of his ministry, he's trying to get a nation to turn back to God. Sixty years later, they're not better shape. They're in worse shape. How long have you been preaching, Brother Paul? How long have you been preaching, Brother Melton? Fifty-one. I've been preaching forty-four. How long have you been preaching, Brother Willis? Forty-four. It breaks our heart to have preached going on a half a century and see a nation now worse than it was the day we started. You're full of defilement. Look at verse 7 and 8. He said, uh, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting, wasting and destruction are in the path. They're full of destruction. In other words, everything they touch, they tear it up. Verse 15, they're full of danger. Look at verse 15. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. You know what that means? If you take a side of right and stand for what's right, you put yourself in danger. You put yourself in danger. If you, if you kids say, I'm going to do right, I'm going to be right, I'm going to walk right and act right and talk right and dress right, you put yourself as a prey for somebody to shoot at and attack. And then they're full of displeasure. Verse 15, last statement. The Lord saw it. It displeased him that there was no judgment. So here they are as a sinful nation. But number two, they're a shameful nation. Look at verse 12. Our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Our sins testify against us. And uh, as for our iniquities, we know them. They weren't ignorant of it. They knew it. Somebody help me. Their sins were multiplied, manifested, and marked by God. God understood it. They understood it. It was manifested, multiplied, and marked by God. They were a shameful nation knew their sins and would not deal with them. Oh, it gets worse. 
it gets worse. They were a suffering nation. How were they suffering? Number one, they were suffering unanswered prayers. Oh, God, help us. Oh, Lord God, that's breaking my heart. Oh, I don't know what it's doing to you. It's breaking my heart. Unanswered prayers. Chapter 58, we fast and pray, and you don't even hear us. Chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. They were suffering unanswered prayer. Yes, sir. God wouldn't listen out of me anymore. I wish I could have drove up here and preached something a little more uh, pleasant, but... If I'd have preached anything but this, I'd annoyingly disobeyed God. Unanswered prayers. I ain't got time to develop it, but there was unresolved problems. Problems everywhere. Judgment's far from us. Judgment ain't coming. Everything wrong's a win and everything right's a losing. Every kind of problem you can imagine is going on in the nation and somebody's praying, but God's not listening. Problems are unresolved and prayers are unanswered. Number three, there's unlighted paths. <coughs> Look at verse nine. Unlighted paths. Therefore, is judgment far from us. Neither does justice overtake us. Unlighted paths, we look for light. <laughs> but behold, obscurity. We can't see. We look for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as it's in the middle of the night. A nation suffering unanswered prayer, unresolved problems, unlighted paths. It gets worse. They were suffering unsaved people. Look at verse 11. We roar all like bears, we mourn sore like doves. You ever been there? We sure would we should change. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation. But it's far off from us. Huh. Wow. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. Wow. A sinful nation. A shameful nation and a suffering nation. Leads me to the fourth point and to the title of the message, and I'll be very brief delivering it. Verse number 15. Yea, truth felleth. He that departeth 
from evil maketh himself a prey. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. I want to preach on. I'm not going to preach on it. I want to give it to you. Say a word about it and leave it with you. The marvel of no intercessor. The marvel of no intercessor. This word wander means to stun. It means to be stupefied, to grow numb, to be appalled, to marvel. Have I got your attention? God said in a nation that's in such a condition, I marvel. I marvel that there's no intercessor. The word intercessor, listen at me. The word intercessor means literally to encounter. It means to push against, to strike at. It means to hit or attack. God said, I marvel that there's nobody pushing back. Nobody standing against it. And it means to implore and beg for an answer. God said, I, I'm stunned. I marvel. I'm stupefied that in a nation in such an awful condition that there's no intercessor. Where's the pastor? that would get between God and his people. Where's the mama? Where's the daddy that'd get between God and say, God, I'm going to push back at this. Maybe I can't change it, but I'm going to push back at it. I'm going to lock hold to the horns of the altar. I'm going to lay hold of God. I'm going to beg God and implore God. Oh God, my child is not going to go to hell. My church is not going to cave in. My country's not going to die. I'm going to be an intercessor. I'm going to plead. I do not. I know that I have a kind of a forceful way and I don't mean to be coming forth as arrogant, nor did I mean be coming forward as forward, forward. But I want to tell you something I do not understand. A nation that's full of drunks and dopes and, and uh, all of this sin and sexual immorality and all of that, that mamas and daddies can still run to the Walmart and still run to Gatlinburg and still run here and run there and spend their time in the world when they've got children dying and going to hell without God. And a nation's going to hell without God. Then God said, I marvel that there's no intercessor. Abraham interceded for his cousin. Job interceded for his children. Nehemiah 
interceded for his city. Abigail interceded for her companion. Ezra interceded for his commission. And Daniel interceded for his country. I'm about to die inside, preacher. I'm about to die inside. I'm about to die inside. I don't get it. How can you, how can we as people of God take the things of God so lightly, so frivolously when our nation's going to hell in a handbasket? Oh, Lord. Oh, God, if somebody would say, I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to stay right there until God does something in my life. I'm going to get a hold of God. You young people, you ought to become intercessors for your generation. Let me give you the last of it. We could preach hours on any of this, but let me give you the last of it. Look at verse number 17 and 18. Notice what God does. God puts on warrior's clothing. He put on the garments of vengeance. And he said, verse 18, I'm going to repay them. In other words, here's what God's saying. Look at me. Here's what God's saying. Somebody come to the piano. Brother Stacy told me if I want to give an invitation, I could. Somebody come to the piano. Here's what God said. Because there's no intercessor, I'm going to judge it. If there was just an intercessor, maybe to hell the judgment off of it. Someone come to the piano, please. Let's all stand. Are you mama an intercessor? Are you daddy an intercessor? Are you preacher an intercessor? I marvel, God said, I marvel that there's no intercessor. Oh,